1: So,
2: practicing sky-gazing, sky-space union yoga, and I'm kind seeing through, being through in the form of sky-gazing, eyes open everything open, everything gazing, six senses gazing, not just the eyes, not sky-worshipping. Embodying or enacting actualizing and enacting the view, meditation and action in this single Rigpa practice of just being, of awareness of relying on innate wakefulness rather than visualizing Buddhas radiating lights or healing rays or other positive activities you might do in other forms of meditation in the other parts of the path, in the other of the many, the three and the nine yanas or paths of enlightenment or paths of Buddha Dharma, enlightenment. Here, emphasizing the non-doing, what they call in Chinese in the Tao, the great Tao Te Ching, the Taoist philosophy, Wu Wei, I use this word because it's kind of hard to translate and it's somewhat popular in the spiritual and the Eastern thought traditions. Wu Wei, much, tran- much translated in different ways as non-action, non-striving, inaction, non-doing, etc way, we'll as Padra Rinpoche sang, beyond action and inaction, the sublime dharma is accomplished. So that gives like a perspective or even sort of a, a stop if there's such a thing. It kind of picks off at the intersection, like a pick of thought. But what should I do? Oh, it's not about doing or not doing. Doing nothing is also counterindicated indicated here. Just one more, ego striving. So the middle way includes action and inaction. And we emphasize the view, again, in this tradition, more than the actions, which is meditation. In Tibetan, it's Jadral, free from action, or non-striving, or carefree. There are different translations, as in the name of the great 101-year-old Dzogchen Master in Nepal, Jadral Rinpoche the one with the big white beard. If you see pictures of old masters, he's that one. His wife was here a few years ago visiting, and she gave us a big, let me put it in the funniest way, lecture, rather than say Dharma talk. It was really a haranguing lecture about the ultimate, total superiority of women. It was so great. It was so politically incorrect. There were a few Tibetan lamas and monks there, and they were just shaking their head. They could not believe it. But she's a a Dakini. It was hard to argue with her. She was from where she was coming from. She had such deity, dignity, deity pride. It was like the goddess was speaking. When when, When Mother Nature speaks, it's hard to say no. Not. We had a tower here. You can't have washed it away. Where did it go? Bring it back. We built a tower here, <laughs> we men. So Wu Wei or Jadra, this is one of the main principles of our Dzogchen practice. Not trying to do nothing, not quietism. There's a difference between great peace and the dichotomies of noise and, and quiet, or, or there's a great difference between inner peace and mere quietism, trying to do nothing or do less. There's a big difference between passivism and passivity. Pacifism, non-aggression, and passivity. Kind of being too passive, like floppy. And Wu Wei or Jajjal is one of the great principles of our practice here, which we're emphasizing in this form of practice. So now let's talk about 20 or so deviations from the view in Dzogchen practice. As we've talked about the principles and practices, and some tips and pointers to who is experiencing tune-up, self-inquiry, laser-like question. So I don't remember offhand which is the first. Not waiting and hoping and wishing. Remember, this is not a prayer practice. This is not an asking for help practice. There are other many prayers, aspirations, vows, practices in Tibetan Buddhism and Mahayana Buddhism and Buddhism in general, not to mention other traditions of spiritual life. This is not that. This is the direct portal, one-step enlightenment, nirvana now, practice, one moment of total awareness, one moment of freedom and enlightenment, enjoying the view, trusting the view, relying on the view, and getting used to it. Getting used to allowing undoing the habit of overdoing through getting used to it and checking out if there's anything better or deeper behind it. Remember Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz, such a great metaphor, classic metaphor, the yellow brick road, trying to get back home. Isn't, is that us or not? Whirled away by the winds, the tornado winds of samsara no matter what bunker we hide in, world away, carried off, trying to get home, finding our friends along the way, each as partial as us, the heartless, the cold, the creaky, do I need to explain, can we go on, etc., characters of our karmic life, but our friends, and of course, our dog, Buddha, always with us. and she finally you know meets the wizard and the wizard's going to be what she's you know the savior that she's been looking for and the great wizard image behind the screen behind the projections behind the the advertising is just another little guy who's trying to get home too but does he not give her the secret does he not give her at the pointing out instruction what does he teach her, tell her, give her, not give her, give her that she did not get anew from him? Anybody remember? Click her heels. What does that mean? She already had the power. Click the heels of her red, beautiful red shoes, right? The ruby red shoes. Hmm? Okay, I'm getting confused. I'm telling the story, <laughs> you can read it. The point being, we already have the power, but the introduction or recognition gets us to try to use it, and then all of a sudden we get home. We are home, whoever introduced it to us, male or female, the wizard or the witch, because the introduction and recognition, our recognition is the key part, not the introducer. I think it was the wizard. <laughs> he cl- he cl- she clicks her heels. The beautiful red shoes. Oh, what? Why does she have these fucking materialistic red-soled whoever? Who makes them? Quick. No. Who has the red-soled shoes? Yeah. Why are there Lubutan shoes in this virtual story? Because it's a tantric story that you already have the power. You don't have to get rid of your diamonds. You can meditate on the clear light sparkling in your ring. You don't have to get rid of your Lubutan shoes and play it around with those falling off, trip over yourself, break your hip, old boomer, Birkenstocks. <laughs> of course, they're ruby red Dakini Lubutan c- shoes. Not some wishy-washy, crappy Birkenstocks that fall off. <laughs> we don't want her to break her hip on the rough yellow brick road. I know you think I'm making this up, and it's great. But in tantric lore, King Indra Budi of, of Zahur, the kingdom in Western India, asked Padmasambhava if she should give up his kingdom He was a wise and benevolent king, but give up his kingdom and take off his jewels and go and wander in the forest, go forth and be a sannyas, a renunciate, a punk. And Padmasambhava said, "Just he introduced him to the clear light through the crystal of the king's diamond ring, the clear light of his mind. Thus, the tantric. The non-dual approach of nothing to get, you don't have nothing to get rid of, nothing extra to get rid of, nothing missing to obtain anew. Thus, the five collachs arising of the five wisdom, the light of the five wisdoms. It's not money, that's the root of all evil, it's attachment. It's not diamond, that is the problem. Clinging to it and to things that cannot satisfy us—that's the cause of suffering. Thus, Milarepa's great guru, Lord Marpa, who was known as an angry farmer and father, who cried for three days when his only son died, his teenage only son fell off a horse and died. Marpa said, "My kalashas are as if carved in stone," meaning I'm still—I still have anger etc but even stone is nothing but clear light is like is clear light so that's the secret power of this kind of non-dual vision as they say it's like reaching that continent where there is no earth ordinary dirt is, it's it's a continent made of jewels that's the pure vision of this realm so, introducing us to what we already have, but yet still how to use it. Rikpa practice. So first, the introduction, the glimpse, the recognition. Second, rikpa practice, getting used to it, getting used to leaving it as it is. Rikpa practice, which firms up that muscle. First, being introduced to the fact, learning, recognizing, confirming for ourselves we have muscles, however the flabby. Second, learning how to use them, perfecting the skill. Rikpa practice. That's what we're doing here not just ordinary mental calisthenics, or trying to concentrate, or feel better, all unreliable temporary states of mind, but the united state of mind, zinjuk, yuganada inseparability, <coughs> total integration, oneness, beyond dualities, or oneness and nonness, beyond concepts. And third, just being. That is the action of this sky-gazing practice, of course as we go forth into life, then it's just walking, and it's just eating, and it's very just just in all its ways. Why otherwise? So not waiting or hoping for something to happen or be saved by some Savior somewhere, and not comparing yourself to others or what they're doing or getting or have done even in the past. It's inspiring to read about the masters and mistresses of the past, but Then we get hung up. We get conceptual obscurations. We think, oh, they had this and that, they experienced this and that, but we're not. Our meditation is is just like nothing. Nothing's happening. Well, comparing our practice in this hour to last hour or yesterday or some epiphany we had once, that's a big mistake. Don't give in to the comparing mind. Just notice that and, and move on, flow on. Watch that float go by and flow on. Of course, it's amusing to compare the contrasting shades of light and darkness, but without forgetting that dark shadows are nothing but light. It's amusing to compare the different floats or even to judge them. If you're the judge of the Rose Bowl Parade, you're supposed to get, you know, you're getting paid. Everybody's depending on you, helping judge which float is the best, but it's still just a float underneath. There are all some little um, go-kart with all those different kinds of flowers on top, the haunted house floats and the beautiful, Mermaid floats or whatever. Of course we can discriminate and judge in the relative sense, but not forgetting, like immature children perhaps do, getting caught up in or running out and getting hit by traffic, by forgetting, getting involved in the floats that go by on, all the flotsam and jetsam going by on the stream of consciousness. Everything, the royal procession of dharmakaya awareness, just... Recognizing, maintaining that. And but check it out. Maybe there's something else going on. Maybe there is uh, God's will. Maybe there is total chaos and no rules. I don't know. Check it out. See what works for you, what resonates with you. I mean, your conscience is the ultimate arbiter as a responsible adult. Even if you follow somebody else or you follow some creed, the red book, the Bible, the Ten Commandments, whatever you decide to follow or to not. Don't pretend you're giving your power where you can decide, you can undecide, you can experiment. Life is improvisational anyway. So not comparing, not competing, obviously, not being in a grace race. Working together, awakening together. If you shake the boat, the other end shakes, you know. Rock the boat, the whole boat rocks. So, pay attention to that. Competing, not competing. And not hurrying. Nowhere to go. This isn't, we're not stressing here diligence or hurrying or like in some other practice, counting how many prayers or mantras you do or get them done fast. Or meditate as fast as you can, and as I like to joke. I think it's a great slogan to remember. Meditate as fast as you can. Because that's how we usually think. You know, time is money. How long is it going to take to get enlightened so I can get back to my other business? Watching TV four or five hours a day or whatever, like the average American not collecting, not gathering, and not keeping, and not trying to carry it all with us on our back. It give a lot of excess baggage. I'm not going to tell all the stories. You can read about them funny stories of the monks trudging through life, carrying their hundreds, in my case, 10,000 books and texts and translations and audio tapes and CDs and DVDs and videotapes and relics and, and ritual implements and so on. Excess baggage all along the way. Not collecting. And not collecting empowerments, initiations, retreats, gurus, etc. Just letting it come and go. There's plenty. It never stops. It's an inexhaustible effulgent womb of voidness. It's not drying up. It's not a limited pitcher. It's not a little bathtub of water. It's not a limited aquifer. The womb of emptiness ever Productive form and emptiness, co-emergent, arising together, inseparable, without beginning or end. Not judging. That's easier said than done. But also don't judge the judging. Of course, we're used to judging, evaluating, opinionating, but not overly getting caught up in that. Not really. It's very hard to judge this pathless, somewhat structuralist non meditation, isn't it? Not judging ourselves would be really the key. As Trungpa J. famously said, why judge others unless you're getting paid for it? <laughs> like, if it's not your job, why are you doing that? What's, what's good, you know, what, what's the point? Not reacting, of course, easier said than done, but noticing the tendency to reactivity and we're trying to, we're undo the habit of overdoing this reactivity-ness. <laughs> You know, we're not fighter pilots. We don't need to have instant hair-trigger reflexes. We can breathe and, and have a moment of mindfulness and choose how, when, and if to respond to stimuli, not just blindly react in our habitual knee-jerk reaction pattern. We can choose, we can practice, cultivate the sacred pause, a moment, take a breath, count to ten, as my granny used to say, Before you hit back, Jeffrey, count to 10. Not uh, easier said than done, but that's the principle of mindful anger management. Take a breath, create a little space before you respond, not just blindly knee-jerk, react. Also to inner stimuli, of course, not just others or the outer things, to what comes up in the mind in this practice. Just enjoying the show, not getting overly involved or depressed. But what's going on in the silver screen of emptiness. Not trying to control or dominate. Remember the principle of letting go means letting come and go, letting be, not suppressing and not getting carried away, not indulging in discursive cha- in chains of discursive thinking. Not trying to control and dominate, allowing the six senses to proceed, including the mind, sense, the consciousness, and just being aware of whatever comes up, all the karmic um, concatenation. All the karmic emergences, all the cause all caused by something, and a lawful unfolding, all the effects. Awareness of is meditation. Mindfulness of thoughts is meditation, not just thinking. Mindful of feelings is meditation, not just feeling. And being caught up in it like a drama king or drama queen. So not controlling and dominating. Being very accepting, cultivating equanimity, spiritual detachment, and so on. Not that different from what's next, but not interfering or manipulating, not trying to stop or change the environment or others for that matter, or by extension, even ourselves in this part of the practice and what we're talking about here. Not trying to get smarter or learn more or improve our mind. not manipulating, not altering, as they say. Non-alteration, just the natural state, or whatever state you think you're in, that will do. So a lot of this is about non-attachment, equanimity and detachment, obviously, but I'm trying to tease it out to look at the different facets. It's it's too simplistic to say it's all about attachment or non-attachment. It takes so many different forms. Resistance, resistance, is also a form of attachment, of fixation. Not giving into discouragement. Remember, goalless, aimless. There's no mile markers. There's no signs. There's no prize at the end. There's no stages. We call it one pachempo, not ten boomiz, ten levels leading to full buddhahood. One pachempo not climbing up the mountain, not climbing the ladder of enlightenment as in the general Buddhist teachings, the four stages leading to arhatship or the ten bhumi stages, levels leading to full Buddhahood. Not one level, the groundless ground, all whole, total, hologram, mandala, all here now. If it's not here, it's nowhere. If it's here, it's everywhere. How could that not be true? Just quoting from the Upanishads. I'm not giving us a discouragement because nothing's happening. Nothing's supposed to happen. And this nothing, it's really something, ain't it? And it keeps happening. Here comes nothing. Whoa! Cool. Imaho. More of it. Thus the Zen saying the void is gnashing its teeth. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> It's not a very passive void. <laughs> it's a teeth grinder in its sleep, dreaming these dreams. <laughs> what else do we have? Yes, yeah, not you can see a lot of this is about, it's pairs, not giving into discouragement and getting depressed, or meditation not getting anywhere. I'm not getting enlightened. I haven't seen any visions or Buddhas like I read in a book. Not getting discouraged, but also not getting elated and overexcited. Just Surfing, riding the waves, the ups and downs of emotions, no problem. That's what emotion is supposed to do. You're not supposed to have a flat line brain, you know, EKG, healthy. Within a certain band, not freaky spiky, not coding every other minute, but not flatline either. That's not the goal here, Beco- having, becoming like cream cheese. No, there's many different kinds of cheese. Including pungent, smelly, stinky blue cheese, as some some of us, as Dhiren Patel sings in one of his poems, with a heart that smells like a fart, <laughs> referring to himself. No problem, imaho, compassion for those who suffer similarly. No one wants to be around us, heart farts. <laughs> Obviously, stressing naturalness and ordinariness as the way not inauthentic, not pretending, not trying to look happy or joyous or sit in the perfect Buddha posture or dress up like a Buddha or do anything different, not adding feathers onto the stick where it never grew, unless you're trying to make an arrow. That's a different story, trying to make something for a certain purpose and direct it. That's a more relative kind of practices, of which there are many. That's why you add arrows onto a st- feathers onto a stick to make an arrow so it'll fly straight as you aim it. This is aimless, goalless, naturalness is the way. Practice. So not pretending, not being very authentic. Obviously authenticity is important in life and in all forms of humanistic activity and thought. Not fabricating or contriving, not imagining that everything that happens is some omen from above signifying future things if you read the literature you might see a lot of stories about this or that and what it means and some people are more shamanic or can read the signs that's fine that's not what we're emphasizing and doing here in this particular practice not over idealizing and projecting i want to keep moving along and get to the questions. Not hesitating or self-doubting, wondering, how could I do this? This is way too advanced. How could I be a Buddha? Religion and philosophy is so intimidating. It's for the 1%. It's for the person in front of the room. It's for the senior students in the front row who, who grab the first seats. They're the real bodhisattvas. I don't have the spiritual gene. Look at that one. They have spiritual genes even. Look, they have a tara embroidered on their butt cheek. They must be more spiritual. is always with them, on their butt cheek. I mean of their genes, or whatever. It's so external, thus it's often mentioned in the Tibetan way of analyzing and teaching that outer, inner, and secret level of things. So we don't just fasten on to the letter of the law. We get into the spirit of the law, the inner. We read between the lines, not just what's on the lines outer, behavioral, but inner, attitude, consciousness, motivation, and secretly, just more the true nature, more invisible, mystical, inexpressible level of things. Not grasping and fixating, not staring, not looking for anything, not fixating on one part of the sky, gazing like on a hill overlooking the ocean at the horizon, not just focused on narrow, tiny horizon either, just enjoying the view. Like when you drive from here to New York, you stop along on the Palisades Parkway, you stop along the way, it says viewpoint. And you get out and what do you do? You look over and there's the Hudson River and it's like a little Grand Canyon with the Palisades and the city down there and you know the beautiful bridges and it's awesome. And the river, where did all that come from? The immensity of it, fantastic. Enjoying the view, taking a breather before you get back onto your path and where you're trying to go, and speeding to get there. So Thus, relaxation and enjoyment, appreciation. So, not grasping and holding on to things, or being too demanding and trying to squeeze everything out of everything. But also, not letting go too late. Uh, What was this? Not letting go too soon. You know, we usually hold on too long when we're attached. And in fact, Buddha's common teachings, it's often said that attachment is the root of all suffering. Because we're attached and holding on to, grasping and craving the things that can't satisfy us, the impermanent, unreliable things that are passing Grasping onto that which is passing through our fingers, we just get rope burned. So loosening our grip is in our higher self-interest, loosening our grasp to the things that are in any case impermanent and changing, including ourselves. That's the, <laughs> that's the thinking. Not throwing it away, but loosening our grip. Kiss the joy as it flies and live in an eternity sunrise, as Blake sang. He who binds to himself a joy Doth the winged life destroy? But he who kisses the joy as it flies lives in eternal sunrise, appreciating everything was impermanent, phantasmagoria, dreamlike sitcom going by. So, not holding on too long, but also not letting go too soon, not just giving up, not just. Hearing you should let go and let go of the wholesome things and the new habits you try to re- develop to replace or recondition the old habits that are unsatisfactory. If you let like to go too soon to the new habits, you just fall back into the old habits. So first reconditioning, that's the general progressive developmental path. Then deconditioning totally. And finally, not letting go... The, Deviation, the, the, the downfall of letting go too late, what we call light. For example, the stink of enlightenment. Holding on to the raft after you've crossed the river, Buddha called it, and so on, or still taking the medicine after the cure has been accomplished. So some of us have habits or whatever, anachronistic even the positive ones that we can let go of as we evolve that we don't need to do anymore or that need to give way to new, more deconditioned non-habits like proactive creativity, creative imagination, not just always trying to calm and clear our mind and concentrate, which is more beginners and intermediate training wheel style riding. You're so first reconditioning and then deconditioning. That's the path, the gradual. And finally, the ultimate freedom is decondition, deconditioning, not making new habits. So these are some deviations from our practice. You notice I didn't say anything in here really about distractions, about worldly things, about lust, about money, about pride, about any of the usual um, religious, spiritual, and ethical subjects. That's not what we're talking about here, we're talking about here deviations from this great non-meditation of the view. Any questions, please? Yes,
1: Dave. Hi, thank you. I wanna try to ask a simple question. It's my um, overanalyzing meatball has been banging into this for days, a question about the view. So in the view and the idea of a perfect, comma, but, that everything is perfect. So if in your house your roof develops a leak, and you're like, oh my God, it's terrible, could it be looked at that as far as, like, you know, the, the leak is perfect because you know 14 billion years of, of right. karma the it's leak has to be now. it's not an Thank accident
2: you. it's not somebody your neighbor's fault
1: right there's and no one
2: to blame probably perhaps
1: and then i but i look at at that and i go oh my god this sucks i got you know there's dripping and the water and i have to fix it i have to spend a few thousand dollars it's not okay and is that just the difference between I suppose the absolute and the relative, is that how I should look at it? It's okay, but I have to fix it. And then the, you know, the path. I thought you were going to
2: say, should I just leave it that way or should I fix it?
1: Mm, No, no, I want (laughs) to fix it. That I know. So
2: that's perfect too. Why shouldn't you fix
1: it? Right. Okay. So it's both at the same time.
2: Well, perfect. Remember, as we discussed, it doesn't mean as opposed to imperfect. This is the maha, the big, it means it's, perfect as it is for the moment but so is your intention wish to do something better so your family doesn't get dripped on or blackballed it out or
1: whatever or right. washed away so if i am a, this is not my case i'm happy to say but let's say i'm on retreat and that leaky roof is waiting at home and i'm involved with i'm doing so chen yeah. it comes up right and that's a I, leak and i go okay that the leak is there that, it's okay that, I'm yeah gonna,
2: right now we're not talking about being in a position to fix it. Now we're talking yeah. about the leaks. In fact, Buddha called these calaceous leaks, these yeah. obstruct it's ob- it's poisons, obscure, like if right? greed or lust or pride. These were like leaks of your, you know, your unconditioned or purity. So how do you fix them is by not, um, you know, making them bigger, like feeding them. Good. Thank you. Like, this is the example. Drinking salt water is the example of desire increasing by being fed, like an addiction. So, desire is considered a leak from Buddhist point of view. So, fixing the leak would be like to stop drinking the salt water would fix the leak. That's making more desire, more leakage of your purity. you with me? Is that confusing? Thank you. So even in the original teachings that I know you're so fond of, there's this notion that the Kalashas are leaks, meaning they're extra. It's like this gorgeous, great, whatever is leaking out. It can be, you know, that needs to be reduced or ameliorated. Not, we don't have shit. We got to get it later after a great investment program of good karma and merits for many lifetimes. You see, there's the notion of the, Original goodness that's leaking away through these five holes below the waterline greed, hatred, delusion, pride, and jealousy, and the many proliferative, unwholesome habits that come from that. So I wouldn't focus on the word perfect. You've noticed how many times I've said the great consummation, the great completeness. Um, the natural state it's not perfect versus imperfect and remember the zen master's own words in his in somewhat and he's actually good slightly broken perhaps english yes you when asked you are well why should we do zazen if we're all buddhas he said yes you're all buddhas but um you know meaning like perfect if you want to use that word but you could still use a little tweaking and he included himself that's why i do zazen Meditation. So when you're here, it's a distraction to be thinking about, you know, fixing the roof at home. Of course, if you come to some great realization like a cure for cancer, it might well be worth writing down. But if you're sitting here trying to find a cure from cancer, you're not really in this retreat. You're just, you know, like taking a vacation to get away from your life to do your work. That might be fine, but that's not what I'm instructing. That might be fine so you see what i'm saying you get to choose of course when you're home there are times for handy man thinking and when you meditate and i don't know you're a vipassana practitioner so you probably try to meditate for an hour in the morning or something you know so that that hour is dedicated to doing something different and not having a little notepad there so whenever you think about something to do around the house you write it down of course, that, you know, you might have that notepad, but um, it's not necessarily part of the practice, you know. That's the collecting. Don't be collecting. Don't be writing down little poems and haikus that come through your meditation. There will be more. It's an infinite well. You don't have to, you know... Just because you're at the Ganges, you don't have to like, bottle it and take it back to wherever you live for, for drinking water. There's plenty of water at home. It might even be better. <laughs> I'm saying that for a reason, because you can buy these little things of Ganges water by the Ganges. There's a lot of collecting going on in this world, outer, and inner, and secret. Questions, please. Yes. Hi. Hi, Steve. So, uh, this word clarity has been coming up as a a confusion in the (laughs) confused about clarity. It it, it came up as as one of the three uh, I forget what you called them advanced obstacles, obstacles non thought, -thought, bliss, and clarity. So, I, I I got the sort of the non thought and the bliss and how that can become a and ha- for my personal experiences in the past become a, right. been an obstacle. But the clarity part, I, I still, and I and I noticed too, oh, There was another list. I forget what it was, the eight principles or something. What if clarity, and, was, and translated? clarity was radiance, illumination? What if the, sh- the light was very bright and you like, really didn't want to lose that. And you're always trying to get back to that. That's what we're talking about. These are like experiences. So a state of mind. It's not clear wisdom. So it's a, yeah, another it's a state of mind. mind. It's a conditioned state of mind that gets drilled up by concentration. You get, you know, it's like kind of more brilliant. The mind gets more brilliant or radiant or like you can, you know, you might experience a lot of um, brilliance or lightness for that matter. You know, there are other experiences too. So obviously... Clarity and precision is important in awareness practice, so we're not just spacing out or or dozing. But too much becomes an obstacle. Dare I mention, again, the great touchstone, the middle way? I hope that's helpful. Thank you. Really, the injunction is not to get too fascinated by any experience or anything that comes up, good, bad, or indifferent, not just clarity or bliss or not, no thought. I mean, you, if you read the meditation manuals or the Songs of Enlightenment by masters like Milarepa and others, then, you know, they say, even if a hundred Buddhas come and start dancing around me or make, offering flowers, I don't get elated. It's all just the... Royal procession of the Dharmakaya. Similarly, if there are a thousand demons running around with swords and and spears threatening me, I don't get scared or depressed. It's just recognizing it as the the endless procession of the Dharmakaya awareness. So even like visions of Buddha or demon or anything in between, just enjoying the show and letting it go. That's this kind of practice. There may be others for transforming, purifying, clearing your vision. There may be. There are. That's not what we're doing here this week. Questions, please. Anybody I haven't heard from or who's slow to the draw, take your chance, take your opportunity. I mean, please. Hi. Bonjour. Bonjour. Um,
0: how can you tell, and maybe how can you test? The difference between pure awareness or however you call that and the fabricated state of mind
2: that's a good question that's where practice comes in and a little bit of questioning and clarifying the questions and teaching or reading what you know the tradition the masters of tradition says so in zogchen the, the question is put as How do you discern sem from Rigpa, mind with a small m from mind with a capital M, if you're talking Zen? To be precise, it's about how to distinguish sem from Rigpa. To put into English, now we have to finger paint a little less precisely. How to distinguish between mind with a small m and mind with a capital M or pure awareness or awareness with a capital A. And that goes back to the more simple um, question of, of discerning the difference between meditation and thinking. Just sitting there and thinking about something is not what Buddhism calls meditation. That's more like pondering or analyzing. So concentrating on your breath, you know, mindfulness of breathing is Buddhist meditation, mindfulness of feelings and physical sensations is Buddhist meditation, mindfulness of sounds is Buddhist meditation, mindfulness of thoughts is Buddhist meditation. So first discerning the difference between mindfulness and thoughts. And. Since you're a practitioner, I guess you start to find out, you know for yourself, you have to find out, confirm it for yourself, I think, if you're just sitting there and thinking or if you're meditating. And of course, since you have been meditating for some years, you keep doing it, you keep coming back, you have a home practice. I guess you like to meditate and it's not just thinking. So, you know, you know, not just that it works, but you have a sense when you're distracted and when you're more in it and so on. So then if you go deeper into you know mindfulness and awareness and you know like zen calls it no mind so not just trying to cultivate mindfulness that's very much with the mind and the eye and the effort but even beyond cultivated mindfulness just presence just awareness that's a more subtle thing and you look for that in the same way through your experience see when and if you ever experienced that like when you have no thought or, I don't know, in a dream or some bardo or some experience. So it's not really awareness, it's more about being. You know, like it's hard to say what's authentic, like how do you know when you're authentically yourself or you're faking? It's a good question. And it's up to you to ask and to find out and to experience and to experiment, right? Authenticity is very hard to define, but faking it, 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 we kind of grow up and find out about that and the limits of that, and we start to discern the difference. So, when are you authentically being or in your true vocation or really practicing, and when you're not? And also, it's not totally black and white. You know, there's a spectrum and wavering, even in one session or one period of your life, there's a wavering, right? And that's life. The, the middle way has a lot of lanes, which just try to stay out of the ditches on either side, the extremes, so you get stuck in there like a deep ditch, not like a lane where there's a slow lane and the middle lane and the passing lane and the breakdown lane also. Still not stuck in the ditch that you can't get out of. Like nihilism is a big ditch, hard to get out of. So I hope that's helpful. If you think about it, if you read about it, it's about discerning the difference between sam and Rigpa. It's, a, it's the whole subject of ocean because the first, the introduction, the introduction to nature, mind, or the glimpse or the recognition, is about this very thing: recognizing the rigpa, the awareness, or your true nature, or something like that. Otherwise, you have nothing to get, leave as it is, or rest in, or get used to. You just keep thinking about things, or trying to get, you know, concentrate, or other kind of cruel and unusual practices from this point of view. They may be lovely practices from another point of view, but I'm saying, but in this point of view, they're they're too much. I hope that's helpful. That's a very subtle question and point you asked, how to discern Sem from Ridba. So in Dzogchen tradition, I hate to make this go way too fast. Dzogchen tradition, Tregchud, seeing through, cutting through, being through, Tregchud in Tibetan, we're practicing in the form of sky-gazing. Treg is the main meditation, non-meditation. is the main practice of Dzogchen. But there's actually three practices in Dzogchen, in the mainstream Dzogchen tradition. I'm not talking about Vajrayana with compassion practice, and Nundro, Vajrasattva, Guru Yoga, poa, six yogas. I'm not talking about Vajrayana practice, that path. I'm talking about the non-dual Dzogchen direct access practice. There's three main practices, and the first one, the nundro, the foundation of this Dzogchen practice is called Rushan. It's not the Vajrayana vows and mantras and 100,000 practices of nundro. It's called Rushan, subtle discernment. And this is exactly the subtle discernment that the practice addresses. The difference between sam and Rigpa, recognizing your Buddha nature your timeless, uncorruptible being or original goodness, your innate nature, your true self with a capital S, not just your small se- self, ego. Recognizing your true self with a capital S as the Vedanta, non-dualists call it, not just your small self, ego, separate self. So that's the Rushan, subtle discernment practice. And then having discerned that, which is the introduction or recognition or glimpse that we're after, that's the beginning of the Dzogchen path of leaving it as it is, the path, the practice of non-meditation. Because you have something to leave as is, you're not still looking and searching and wondering and doubting and is there or there there. No, you've actually glimpsed, recognized, intuited. broke, Breakthrough, Satori, you broke through. You've seen the sun break through the clouds, you know it's there. It's not just a rumor. Even though the clouds have covered and obscuration covered again. You know why there's daylight and night, but you know there's a sun there, even though you don't always see it. So the breakthrough is the beginning, that's the glimpse of recognition. Then we recognize that we understand the difference between sun and just daylight. Even though in the abstract it's the same, it's the sun's rays that are daylight, but it's a very different experience when you've seen the sun or not, or you always live in a place that where there's no, no sun, like Seattle, there's daylight but there's no sun. That's the state of duality that we're in. Till we glimpse it and we see the daylight is the sun and the sun's always there. Even at night, the sun's not gone. We're just turned away from it. So this is the primordial Buddha nature. This is the, the, the divine within the clear light, whatever you want to call it. That's always there, uncorruptible. The original goodness. The pure land here and now. So discerning between this small mind and big mind, or small self and big self, this thinking and awareness is the basis of the leaving it as it is and the getting used to it and stabilizing that view. That's the practice. Uh, And the third practice, just for complete sake, is togel, leap over or being there, the visionary practice. How you further stabilize the view with more effort as your experiences unfold, from within have you tried leading a session up here it's harder to sleep up here I don't know why it's one of the best samadhi practices among other things it's very interesting you should try it